Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. Organic food is produced without the use of conventional pesticides, petroleum or sewage-based fertilizers, herbicides, genetic engineering, antibiotics, growth hormones, or irradiation. That's according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The USDA says the sale of organic food, mainly fresh produce, is increasing. Many consumers prefer organic produce because they believe the pesticides, herbicides, and petroleum-based fertilizers used in conventional agriculture are harmful to human health, to the soil, and to the environment. My guest, John Stanley, is an organic farmer in Central Texas who believes in being a good steward of the soil on which he farms. He uses growing methods that build the soil and that benefit the environment. It's important to him that the food he grows encourages health and well-being. John Stanley, I'd like to welcome you to Mothering Earth. Uh, You run what you describe as a small family-run farm in the Blanco River Valley in central Texas, where you grow vegetables organically, and uh, you care a lot about the soil and the environment. Um, So that's what we'll be talking about with you. Uh, but I'd like to begin by having you introduce yourself and talk about how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sawa. My wife and I moved back to Texas two years ago. In July will be two years. We, in about 10 years ago, really became concerned about climate change and about uh, the degradation of resources and the way we get our food, and we became very concerned about these things. And we found that Texas was a very arid region. Uh, 2011, Texas was on fire. We had wildfires that went through the state and drought. And so we bought a farm in Canada. We bought a place in Nova Scotia in Maritime Canada, and we loved it. And we found a great uh, sustainable farming community there and we had good markets, but we found we were too far away from our children and our newly uh, coming along being born grandchildren. And so we wanted to get back to be near family. My mother started to decline in health. And so we decided to move back and uh, we took a couple of years in Kentucky as kind of a way station before getting back to Texas, but then uh, came back here two years ago and we, are leasing the farmland at Montesino Ranch, which is a large event ranch. They do weddings and lodging. And we lease the farmland and the equipment and produce for local markets uh, fresh vegetables year round. I understand you're concerned about what you call the dominant food system. Can you talk more about that, what it is, what problems are associated with it? And is that part of what drives you to farm organically. It absolutely is, Sawa. Conventional agriculture, agriculture is the largest contributor to greenhouse gases on the planet. It's more than trains, planes, anything else. Uh, All of the associated fossil fuel burning that goes as a part of agriculture is larger than anything else. 
And so one of the things we want to do is take the largest single contributor of greenhouse gases and make it the largest contributing sequestration of greenhouse gases. The plants, if formed, farming, if done organically, can literally suck carbon out of the air, suck carbon dioxide out of the air and permanently place it in the soil. But as long as we're using petrochemicals for fertilizers and as long as we're using petrochemicals for transportation and as long as we're tilling the soil and burning up the organic matter and releasing that carbon back into the atmosphere, we're contributing to a problem that we literally could solve by doing agriculture right. When we're talking about dominant food systems, we're talking about the way basically the food is produced yes, and mainly in the U.S. wheat, corn, soy. They're the ingredients that are in every packaged, uh, refined part, the part of the grocery store that it doesn't look like food. Well, it's full of corn and soy and wheat that are grown in conventional monocultures. Going back to the dominant food system, uh, you talked about the, you know, how different grains are grown, uh, but, but some of those, or a large part of those grains are also fed to animals, and that's another part of this yeah, it's amazing how few large corporations own all of the animal agriculture, and they are the same ones who own the grain cartels. And all of that corn and soy, so much of the corn and soy is going to feed sometimes animals that aren't even designed to eat grain, like cattle. Uh, they're herbivores. They eat grass. And, uh, and then, of course, chickens and uh, pork, uh, pigs and chickens, mm-hmm. uh, require an incredible amount of soy and grain to be finished out in our conventional um, system. And they're kept in very inhumane uh, setting. But that's what so much of the tilled land of American agriculture is going to. And part of that food system also is as I understand it, what you're concerned about is how, how they treat people. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that conventional agriculture does is it gets a very good return on labor. And the conventional system has basically uh, reduced labor to the minimum that they can, and the labor that they do employ, they uh, employ pretty cruelly uh, with the... Uh, sometimes illegal and migrant farm workers that are not until recently have not been very well housed or taken care of or protected and so that's a part of the subsidy that conventional agriculture gets if you can treat people really badly and pay them really poorly you're you're taking economic advantage of the person who's producing by paying a living wage and providing for their workers You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here today with John Stanley, organic farmer, and uh, we've been talking about your your farm. Uh, Have we said the name of my farm? I don't think we have. Back to the garden. (laughs) Back to the garden. We've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Where can people find out more about your farm? Well, our website is Back to the Garden, A-M-R. It stands for At Montesino Ranch. Back to the Garden, amr.com is our website and there you can get on our email list and keep up with our farm and and get phone numbers and addresses mm-hmm. and that kind of thing when when we're talking about your farm how is it that you treat 
people? Because I, I know on your website you talk about different obligations that mm -hmm. you feel you have. Talk about those. I'd love yeah. to have, have you well, kind of explain uh, what they are and, and why they're important. Yeah. One, of the, uh, one of our ancient holy books says the, wor the, the laborer is worthy of his hire. That is, if somebody works for you, they deserve to be paid. And so one of the things we're trying to do is pay uh, a fair wage. We pay well above the minimum wage to all of our, even if they're uh, an intern from Texas State University who works with us, uh, that level of work starts at $10 an hour. And uh, we're trying to get to the place that we pay $15 an hour to everybody. We believe that's a minimum livable wage. And so among agricultural enterprises, I would say, uh, I was just doing our books with my farming partner, and, and one of the things we're always working on is trying to keep labor in a proper relationship with the rest of the expenses and the revenues of the farm. Uh, but we're, we're saying it is not our right to have a business if we cannot pay the people who work for the business. Um, and then you also talk about uh, an obligation you feel you have to the customer, to your customers. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think one of the things that we love to do is feed people. We, I grew up in the deep south and we have that hospitality, uh, that custom of hospitality. And it's a, it's a joy to feed people. And so one of the things that we take great delight in and really enjoy is the fact that we get to feed families. We get to provide them with the food that we think not only is a part of their health, but it's a part of their conviviality. It's a part of their joy. Food is joy and fun and taste. And um, so we, we really just actually get great joy from producing food. But we want to produce food that's healthy and clean and doesn't kill people, doesn't contribute to their disease. And so it's a, it's a big part of our obligation to produce food that's good and to produce it in a way that doesn't destroy the very environment on which our customers live. And so uh, when, you, when you talk about food that's uh, sort of pure and clean, and, um, how does organic farming contribute to that? Well, there's an interesting debate going on right now about organic. Uh, since the U.S. Department of Agriculture took over the organic label in the turn of the millennium, um, I think there's been erosion, an erosion of what organic was meant to be. And the founders of organic agriculture, there was a real mantra that you feed the soil, you don't feed the plant. You feed the soil and the soil feeds the plant. And you use processes that are literally organic processes. They're not chemical processes. Uh, some of the large con commercial organic farms today are not much different than conventional farms, except they don't use petrochemicals. We want to go beyond what the organic standard requires and truly contribute to the health of the soil in the place we live, to contribute to the welfare of any livestock or wildlife or animals that are part of our, the, the pollinators. We think that there are obligations beyond the letter of the law of organic that we want to take. Uh, and, I, and we believe that there are people, our eaters, our customers, value these things as well. And so we're trying to go beyond organic, but 
the typical conventional description of organic is that it doesn't use uh, petrochemicals, fossil fuel, uh, fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, and GMOs. And so we certainly can say that we meet that standard, but we're trying to go far beyond that and truly enrich our environment. We want to leave this place better than we found it. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here today with John Stanley, who is an organic farmer, but it's time for a break. We're back now. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here with John Stanley, an organic. Let's talk about soil. You know, why yeah. is it so important? Uh, it's one of my favorite topics. I yeah. made a video about it some years ago. Um, but you know, let's talk about uh, what, what is it that makes the soil so important? Why do we need to take care of it? Well, it all terrestrial life. Every bit of terrestrial life lives on a thin ribbon that goes about six inches below the soil to six inches above the soil, and everything depends on it. And it takes all of our refuse. It takes our dead bodies. It takes everything in and repurposes it and reconstitutes it. And if we take care of that wonderful living ribbon of life, um, not only will it feed us, clothe us, give us drink that's inebriating, it does so much for us, and it also takes all that we are and all that we are going to become. And, um, but we're not treating it with that kind of reverence and recognizing how vital it is. We're seeing soil destruction at an incredible rate. And so we're trying to hold the soil in this place and keep it here as long as we can. We're trying to really nurture. My livestock on this farm are not, are not cattle and goats and um, pigs. My livestock are earthworms and nematodes and all the living biological. There's more biomass of living organisms in that, inside the soil than there is above it. And so we're really trying to take care of that because we believe that it's a vital part of keeping um, our, our life support going. You're listening to Mothering Earth. Uh, I'm here today with John Stanley, who is an organic farmer. And we were talking about the soil and the various critters within it. Um, talk, about, talk more about, can you explain why those critters are important when you're talking about nematodes, earthworms, bacteria, fungi, all those mm -hmm. things that are in the soil. What is it that you as a farmer do to nourish them and to maintain them? One of the vital things that happens in the soil, it's a miracle really, is that mycorrhizal fungi, fungal organisms, enter into a symbiotic relationship with the plant roots and they literally bring to the plant first they extend the plant's roots they tag team and hold on to and provide the channel to bring 
water and nutrients to the plant, and the plant trades and gives it a little bit of sugar. And there's this wonderful symbiotic relationship between mycorrhizal fungi and the plants themselves that truly brings to the plant many of the nutrients that they could not access with their root hairs alone, but that fungal organism brings it to the plant and the plant brings the, um, the fungi and together they will deposit exudates into the soil and they bind with humic acid and hold carbon in chains under the ground for a thousand years at a time. And so that, that wonderful relationship of those two organisms. So when we come to compost, one of the things we're trying to do is use mushroom compost. We know that soil needs addition of fungal matter. Um, most of our conventional farming has uh, an environment that really encourages bacterial uh, explosions of, of life. But what we need is more fungal life. And so our main input is mushroom, spent mushroom substrate that has fungi all through it, mycelium all through it. And so we're using that as our main material to uh, kickstart the soil and to nourish those fungal networks. And instead of just putting a pelleted chicken manure fertilizer that the plant is fed by, we're feeding those organisms. And then there become, through those relationships, there become uh, environments and sites and nurturing places for many more organisms, many more organisms in the soil that are able to add, uh, allow those plant nutrients to become available to the plant. A lot of times the nutrient is in the soil, but the plant can't get it without some um, biological life helping that break down. Yeah, and I think that's such an important thing, what you just said, because a lot of people don't understand that, um, that it takes that combination to feed the plant. Um, and and um, so when you're talking about using mushroom, uh, comp mushroom compost, is that what it, or substrate? Um, is that something you use in addition to compost, like regular compost, or is that, do you feel that that mushroom substrate is enough? We both do our own composting. We take all of the weeds that we pull up, we do have weeds, and uh, we take uh, a lot of the spent crop and we put that into a compost pile and we kind of do a slow compost. We also take leaves from our neighbors and uh, we usually have a very large heap of leaves that we're trying to uh, let break down. The leaves have a lot of those uh, deeper trees pull from a very deep level in the soil, minerals, and every year they deposit them on the ground for us to use and for themselves to use for their own fertility. So we uh, both do some composting, but we cannot possibly produce the amount of compost that we need to do annual vegetable farming ourselves. And so we bring in the mushroom compost as a, it's our main source of fertility. I would say it's, it's one of the ways that we are having to use stuff from offsite in order to produce so much food that's going out the door. We're selling 75, 80 pounds of lettuce per week. Mm -hmm. And so that's nutrients that are being shipped off the farm. So we're having to bring some of that back in. And, 
And that's one of the less sustainable ways that we're having to do things, but we think we're well, well ahead of what most conventional farmers are doing. I've, I've discovered something about using that compost that most farmers, uh, going back 100 centuries, didn't realize is you don't have to till it in. Put the compost on top of the ground. When I was in Kentucky, I had a, par a piece of ground that I had chickens on a chicken tractor, chicken pen, and I was disking that field and my disc was going in about a quarter of an inch. It was hard packed clay soil. And when I got to where those chickens had been, my disc just sunk into the ground. And I realized I've never tilled the soil, but what happened is the earthworms and the biological life of the soil were literally coming up to the surface and pulling all that fertility down in the soil. And so today we are trying to go no-till and minimal tillage and we put all of our amendments on top of the ground and we let the organisms in the soil pull it down to where the plant needs it. If we're talking to people who aren't farmers but who have yards and gardens, are there, is there any advice you can give them in terms of what they can do uh, with their soil? What kinds of things they can do? Yeah, I really think that on the, on the scale that we're doing it, it's very difficult to do no-till organic. We're just putting so many crops in and rotating those beds so fast and we're we're right trying to accomplish so much in terms of productivity and sales to sustain the business but if you're a home gardener you don't have to worry about that and so one of the things I think gardeners can do that uh, people like I who are doing this for a living uh, don't do as well is the no-till. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think there's any reason any gardener out there should ever uh, till, use a tiller. Don't rent a tiller, don't borrow a tiller, uh, kill a tiller. Uh, th that's what uh, I think home, home gardeners should kill, kill their tiller. Uh, and just get a lot of organic material, compost. We haven't talked about water, so uh, obviously, that's a very important input for a farmer. Yeah, I've started four farms right now and, uh, at this point, and I think the first question has to be, yeah, water is one of those issues, if you don't have it, you don't have a farm. Not in Texas. Uh, it's wonderful in Canada and Mississippi where I grew up. Water falls out of the sky, and it's an odd and wonderful thing. But here in Texas, if you don't have uh, the ability to irrigate, you can't grow. We here are uh, drawing on the aquifer. We are stingy with water. If you go out and walk our fields, you'll find out in the field we have no overhead irrigation. All of it is drip. And... We're putting that water down into a covered bed. So every bed has either got straw on it, a natural mulch, or it's got a landscape fabric, a plastic mulch. So what we're trying to do is hold that water in once we put it out on the ground. We want it to stay there as long as we can. Another thing is we're building that organic matter in the soil. There is no larger place to store water than in the dirt. But you can't store it in the dirt if the dirt doesn't have organic matter in it. Right. And so you want to create that sponge soil that holds on to water. And we have to water so much less than we would if we were tilling every day and the soil were exposed. Do you have any plans for the future? One of the things we're trying to do is build in a transition plan. I'm trying to nurture young farmers, 
train young farmers, and then provide a succession plan for another farmer to come in, and then I move to a more consultative uh, role because uh, I find that talking about farming is not nearly as taxing as farming. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you find young farmers? There are a lot here. Over the last 10 years, I have seen young people who are willing to get out and work in the heat and the cold and the elements and live in teepees and live on hardly anything but maybe a free beer every now and then and a small stipend. I see young people hungry to farm. And it is so heartening to me. And one of the things I think that we uh, I think we have good things in store as this younger generation, more ecologically sensitive, uh, more economically. Uh, I don't think that they are um, have a pie-in-the-sky notion about what farming can do. They're willing to sacrifice something, and I think if we will reward that, uh, we're going to have a, an army of young farmers led by people of color and women and... Uh, I think that that bodes very well. Yeah. Organic agriculture is the one place we're seeing actual uh, rises in numbers of farmers, and especially in numbers of farmers who are women and minorities. The website is backtothegardenamr.com. John Stanley sells organic produce to local restaurants through a CSA and through local farmers markets. Please support your local farmers by buying directly from them. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth, 